Amen. Today's Mother's Day, so Damien said it. Dads, step up. Call your mama, even if you're not sure you like her a whole bunch. Um, there are no perfect moms in the world, and yet um, none of us would be here without our moms. Uh, I don't know which camera it is. We broadcast this service. Mom, I love you so much. Um, I'm thankful for you. You uh, came to know Jesus, and you started our faith journey as a family. You changed our whole family tree, and I'm thankful for you, Mom. Uh, today, if, if you don't have a mom, um, or maybe you're in a broken relationship with your mom, I just want to say to you that we, we see that. Um, some of us on a day like today feel extra sad because maybe our mom has passed, or maybe things are not the way we wish they would be, and we just want you to know that Jesus knows and sees that, and we just want you to know we're praying for you today. Sometimes greeting card holidays are tough, you know? Um, you go into Target, and you look at that that wall of greeting cards, and you just don't know what to do. And so if that's you, we just want you to know, like, Jesus sees that as well. Um, and if you do enjoy connection and kinship with your mom, um, celebrate her today. It's a good day. It's a good day to connect. Speaking of Mother's Day, um, the, the song we sang at the end speaks of the church being born. And, and St. Augustine said once uh, that the church is our mother. And so today we're going to we're going to talk about the church. We're going to do something a little different than we normally do. If, if this is your, your home, you know that I uh, open a Bible, pray, and then I do engage in expository teaching. We're a church that takes the Bible very, very seriously. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different, um, and so I hope you'll roll with me in this. Uh, I just came back from our retreat. The reason why the, the crowd here is a bit thin is hundreds of us are in the mountains. Uh, we've been together all weekend worshiping and um, hanging out in the rain <laughs> on Saturday, and they're all still up there. I see a couple of people have come back. Um, and one of the things that we did at our, our time away is I just shared with our church in the mountains what has been in my heart about where our church is maybe going to be headed, some things that I think we need to hold. And I'm just going to share those with you today. This is not going to be like a proclamation or a manifesto. I'm going to just share it from um, my heart about what I believe this church is meant to hold and candidly what maybe you as an individual believer are being invited to hold in your own life as you're asking questions about God, about spirituality. So just for the next few moments, I'm going to share four things. If you have been out in our hallway, and you certainly have because you couldn't have gotten to this room unless you came in that door without walking in our hallway, you see that on the wall we have this big sentence, to be a people growing into Christ-likeness. And under that, there are four words, worship, community, formation, and influence. Those four words can be interpreted in a million different ways, and they have been. Uh, and they are even probably by you. And so what we're going to do now is I'm going to take those four words and I'm going to share with you a little bit of an unpacking as to why I believe they are really critical and important for us right now, not just as a church, but as people trying to be faithful as we move forward and ask real meaningful questions about who we're supposed to be. So a little bit of a change of pace, but I hope you'll, you'll work with me and walk with me here. First, worship. Some people view worship as the warm-up for the sermon. Uh, some people skip music thinking they're skipping worship. The word worship means worthship. It means to ascribe worth unto. And I believe that one of the invitations in front of us today is to think of worship in terms of form and fire. 
if you have a fireplace in your home, and I would never, ever live in a home without a fireplace. If I didn't have a fireplace, uh, I would make one um, because I love fireplaces. But the problem with a fireplace, if you do not light fires in it and you leave the damper open, is they're terribly inefficient. You know, air just sort of gets sucked right up those things and you can feel sometimes a draft in a fireplace. You got to put fire in a fireplace. There's a form and a structure that is meant to house the warmth of the fire. If it's under 60 degrees, I'm building fires in my home. I will sometimes turn the air conditioner on, open the windows in order to build a fire because I just love fire. It's nature's television. If you want your kids to not watch TV, just light a fire. They'll, they'll be mesmerized by it. So form a fireplace, a structure without the thing for which is it, intended, it is intended to house is drafty and cold. Alternatively, if you build a fire in the middle of your living room, you're going to have some problems because it'll burn the house down. Here's what I know. Some of you grew up in religious traditions that were heavy on form. Some of you grew up in religious traditions that were heavy on fire. We rarely bring them together. So if you think about form, you think about churches that think really strong thoughts, right? You think about uh, the, the churches that have all the history and all the rhythms and all the, all the kind of like, you know when to sit and you know when to stand and you know when to do this. And, you know, some of you grew up in churches like that and the form is really good. But sometimes, you know, your people get called the frozen chosen, you know, people who are sort of like going through the motions. I grew up in the charismatic church. So I grew up where people were building the fire in the middle of their living room, you know, it was exciting terrifying. I'll never forget going to college. I went to a, a church of God college and I didn't grow up in the church of God. I grew up more like hippies getting saved, you know, so it was like low key, you know, after effects of lots of drug use. So people were super relaxed, but you go to a Pentecostal thing and it can get real, real wild in a hurry. I'll never forget being in a chapel service and the guy up at the front with 2,000 people in the room said, let's pray. 2,000 people started praying in tongues at the top of their voice. And I remember looking around and being like, this is not like anything I'd ever experienced. And then one guy in a suit took off running. And I thought, where's he going? And should I be going with him? Like, I thought there was like an event happening in the room. And this guy is running in a suit. And you, you, some of you may have those dress shoes on right now they're real slick on the bottom he would round the corners and just slide I mean it was amazing I was in awe and somewhat alarmed it's like a lot of fire here we may burn the house down I believe the invitation for us is to bring form and fire together some of you grew up in Christian homes or Christian traditions or with an echo of Christianity where God was so far out in front of you that you could never keep up with him. And maybe today you come into this space and you're just worn out. You think, I can never follow all the rules. I can never keep up with God. He's just always so far out in front. Others of you grew up with God as a kind of person with a cattle prod behind you, just poking you and prodding you and pushing you. That wears you out in a different way. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit walks beside us. The Greek word for Holy Spirit, paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete, one who walks beside, who encourages, who comforts. Encouragement is not just a pep talk. Encouragement is to fill you with courage. Comfort is not just a blanket on a cold, rainy day. It's fortis. You know that word? If musical people, what does fortis mean? Somebody like yell it out. Huh? 
loud, strong, fortis. That's where we get our word fort, a military fort. The Holy Spirit makes us brave, makes us strong. I believe that over the last two years, the United States and specifically city centers have regressed toward post-Christendom probably 20 years worth of unhooking from our faith. It's going to become increasingly less convenient to be a cultural Christian. Increasingly, it won't help you with your networking, with your work. Um, increasingly, it, it, coming to church will be something you do because you want to, not because you feel like you have to. That's what's happening in the world. The great resignation is not just happening in our jobs. It's happening in, in, in the church. It's happening because we've become unhooked in some way. For us to be the people of God moving forward in, a, in an increasingly post-Christian society, I believe that we need to see the form and fire come together, that the structures of your life are meant to be a place where the warmth of God infuses. We are not primarily thinking things. You are not a brain on a stick, as Jamie Smith, one of my favorite theologians and philosophers says. We are full-bodied, animated people who are meant to have our hearts as John Wesley, my favorite Anglican. So if you're a Methodist, Wesley was an Anglican until his dying day. It was only Methodist later. Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed by the Holy Spirit. I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who have some spaces and structure in our life, structures of worship, this church year, the liturgy, your devotional spaces, but also expect God to come in and warm us, form and fire. Where are you anemic? Where is God asking you to say, I need something I don't have? See, the challenge with being a fire person is that you think I'm always going to feel it. And then when you don't feel it, you don't know whether you can get up and go through the motions. The challenge with being a form person is that somewhere along the way, you stop expecting that you'll ever feel it. We're meant to have structures in our lives like a trellis or a skeletal structure into which God breathes and brings his life and his light. So in the coming weeks, months, and years, we're going to be speaking about structure and spirit. We're going to be inviting you to be the kind of person who becomes more fully orbed. I believe that to be Christian in the 21st century and beyond, we must be a people who have structure and have life and power in us from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, community. Here's what most churches, including Trinity, occasionally communicate. Just get in a small group. As if that's going to be like all you need. And then what happens is, is you think, well, I'm like really busy or I live really far or my work life or my kids. Like, what do I do? And so we just don't know. And a lot of Christians have just said, if you just get into a neighborhood group or a small group, you're going to be fine. Increasingly getting connected without growing in wholeness and healing and restoration and renewal in our hearts, just puts you in closer proximity to people to get sideways with them and fight with them. I mean, I once heard somebody say, you know why the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus is there? It's because he's there to break up a fight. <laughs> and increasingly over the last couple of years, that's increasingly true. Christians can't get along. We fight about politics. We fight about whether we should be wearing masks or not wearing masks. We fight about this. We fight about that. We fight about something else. And I believe that for us here at this church, we're going to be putting flags in the ground to say emotional health is critical to experiencing meaningful relationships. 
Pete Scazzaro, one of my favorite pastors now, he's a, a writer. He wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a game-changing book. If you have not read that book, I want to tell you today, trust me, go get it and read it. He said, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Or another way to say it is, we may take you out of Egypt, but it's hard to take Egypt out of you. Or Pogo, the cartoon, said, wherever you go, there you are. We're the common denominator in all of our dysfunctional situations. So what we have to do is deal with our stuff. I don't remember anything from science in high school except for one thing, osmosis. The passage of water through a semi-permeable membrane. I don't know why I remember it, but I remember that. It's the only thing I remember. So some of you kids, it's like osmosis, the passage of water through a semi-permeable membrane. I actually do know why I remember it. I had a Garfield lunchbox, and Garfield was holding a textbook on the top of his head, and he said, I'm learning through osmosis. I think that what we do sometimes as, as spiritual people, as Christians, is we just think if I can just show up to church once a month, I'm going to get it. If I could just like read a verse a day, it's like an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you know, a verse a day will keep the devil away or whatever. And we wonder why we're not people who are being transformed. There's a space in which for us to grow, we've got to deal with our stuff. Your life is like an iceberg. What's above the surface is small compared to what's under the surface. And I believe God wants us to be the kinds of people who begin to deal with what's under the surface. So for me, and this is a risk, y'all. I'm just going to tell you, it's a risk. Because people sometimes want pastors to have it all together. I'm in counseling. I'm in, I'm in therapy. And if I could write my counselor into my will, I mean, I, I guess I could. I would. He's amazing. He's, cha he's changed my life with partnering with me to help me understand like where I come from and why I do the things I do and why I get worked up over things. I'm working on my own heart and have been since May um, of a year, a year ago. And I'm going to continue to do that work. I, I see coaching and mentoring in my life. I meet with an older woman who's wise and smarter than me and godly. And she, she helps me. She loves me. She challenges me. I'm receiving so much input because I'm going and finding it. Do you know that neither of those life-giving relationships would have happened if I had just sat down and said, well, if God wants to help me be a better person, he'll just have to, he knows where to find me. I had to go and get them. It's not enough to be in a family. It's not enough to be in a small group. You've got to have some level of, of healing happen in your life in order to be engaged in meaningful relationships. And I'm just going to say this. That's where our reconciling work will flow out of. That's where racial justice and racial reconciliation becomes a gospel mandate. Because we'll read something like Revelation 7, 9 that says every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered in front of the throne. And we're going to be like, how can we begin to get in on that kind of thing now rather than just wait till heaven? That's where reconciliation in marriages will happen. It's where we come out of our trenches and we begin to deal with our stuff because we're less afraid. Because God's doing a healing work. I feel more whole and settled than I have been at any time in my life right now and at the same time more aware of how much I've got to do and deal with and face in order to continue to grow and be the person God wants me to be. Increasingly, this is going to be a place where we're going to focus on healing in your emotions so that you can be a person who engages in real relationships 
like not superficial. And y'all know this is the way it works. We, we, we live up here in the shallows, and then we go deep and it gets uncomfortable, and then we just go back to the shallows. I think it's time for us to be the kinds of people who get into the deep water with one another because we can actually handle it. We can stay there. That takes effort and intentionality. Connected to that, formation is not just reading your Bible every morning, but formation is, I believe, the incorporations of rhythms, postures, and practices in your life with God. And for me, my spiritual formation is in a, in a good place and a new place because it's more comprehensive. I, if you have a notebook or you have a note thing on your, your, uh, on your phone, uh, write these letters down. I am currently in my rule of life or my time with God, my way of being with God, incorporating what's called a SPIRE model. S-P-I-R-E. Four letters, and an acronym. S-P-I-R-E. It's a research-based model on a wellness check-in that Harvard University has actually done uh, some research and some work, and they've come up with this. The reason why I'm using it as a template right now for my check-in and my life with God, uh, my life as a, as, a, as a human Chris, you know, living in the world, is because I, this actually directly corresponds to a model that one of my heroes in the faith, Dallas Willard, put forth in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, 20 years ago. So I'm rereading Renovation of the Heart, and that book 20 years ago was put out, and I'm reading it again now. And in that book, Dallas talks about the five components of a human, and they directly correspond to the Spire model. So it's just a really cool way to think about your whole life. I believe that one of the problems that we have as people who are trying to be people of faith is that we sometimes naively think that if we'll just read our Bible and have a little quiet time, we should be fine. And then we don't know why we can't get along with our spouse or our kids or people at work. We got to expand the, the breadth of what it means to tend to our whole life. So spiritual, what's your spiritual life look like? Um, so reading and prayer and silence, solitude. How is your will being engaged, your heart? You know, another word for heart in the Bible, as we think about it and the way the Jews understood it, is your will, like your chooser. So where are you living your life to make choices about your worship and devotion? Coming to church, reading, praying, silence, things like that, Sabbath keeping. So how are you choosing right now to live your life with God? Are there practices at play that are like a trellis for you? S. P, physicality, your body matters. Your body is finite, but it's a powerful tool in your own spiritual formation. So how, am I taking care of my body? I've been up past my bedtime for like four days in a row and I am feeling it, man. I'm getting too old for this. Too many retreats. So I pay attention to how much I'm sleeping, how much I'm exercising, what I'm eating. If I'm drinking enough water and not too much fire water, you know, like just making, keeping tabs, your body matters. And the way you know your body matters is when it's out of whack, it distracts everything, doesn't it, right? Like some of you are sitting here, you got a crick in your neck or something going on. It's hard to even think. Your body matters a great deal. S-P-I, your intellect. Where am I being intentional about cultivating curiosity and what I think about God, how I'm learning? You're not only a brain on a stick, but you do have one. So what are you doing? For me right now, that's like a little bit of reading, a little bit of podcasting, and then getting into conversations with people I respect that make me uh, think different thoughts because they challenge me, people who spur me on to think better about God. Your brain needs to be challenged and engaged. Um, I, so I'm reading like, you know, Renovation of the Heart right now. I'm rereading East of Eden. So I, I, I'm like a little bit of a, you know, I get, I get 
pumped up about things. So I'll be reading like multiple books. That may not be your jam. Um, you may just need to listen to podcasts in the car that make you think good thoughts. I would commend to you Mark Sayers. He's an Australian pastor. Did, has anyone in this room ever listened? Did you listen a couple years ago to the podcast, This Cultural Moment with John Mark Comer? Anybody, anybody hear that? So Mark Sayers was the Australian guy on that podcast. If you haven't listened to that, you should go back and listen to it. He has his own called Rebuilders, and I love it. It's really good. Like, makes me think. You got to, like, think. Some of you hadn't read a book since you graduated from college. It's time to get one out. Your brain needs to be awakened every now and again. Presley, don't stop reading when you get out of school. Keep reading. S-P-I-R, relationships. I do an, a weekly evaluation of just where I am in my relationships. And I think concentric circles, intimate nearby, far away. I check in on how I'm doing in my relationships. Am I tending to the people in my life or am I just like nose to the grindstone distracted? Emotional health, meaningful connections. And then E, your emotions. So spirituality, physicality, your intellect, your relationships and your emotions. And here's what I will say to you by way of confession. I have not spent enough time as an adult man believer thinking about or being aware of what I'm feeling. And just because you aren't aware doesn't mean you're not feeling those things. So I'm doing intentional check-ins to go, how am I doing? How was I in that conversation with my wife, Karen? How was I at work? And I celebrate the good stuff and I name the places where I feel a little bit worried so, or afraid. Now, for some of you, I just want to say, if you're always mad or if you get triggered like that, anger is a secondary emotion. Parker Palmer once said, anger is a guardian for sadness. It's also a guardian for fear. So you may not just be mad. That may be the low-hanging fruit in your life. You're probably disappointed or afraid or sad. It's only been in the last year that I've been getting down under the surface and checking in. So here's what I do every Saturday. I journal now, and on Saturday morning, I put S-P-I-R-E, and I just write. How am I doing spiritually? How am I doing in my body? How am I doing in my mind? And some weeks I'm like, I didn't do anything in that area. But what it does is it reminds me to like pay attention to it going forward. Without form, the fire gets unwieldy. Without the fire, the form just becomes a dead thing. We got to bring them together. I believe the Lord wants you to be a person who engages in rhythms, practices, and postures. And do you know what your posture ought to be? love. The primary emotion of children of light should be love. We should be motivated by love for God and love for others. Here's the last one, influence. Mother Teresa once said, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to be the tangible, touchable presence of God to people around me. And I just want to say to you, God wants you to be useful at home, in your closest friendships, nearby, at your church, and then far away. He wants you to think concentric circles, and he wants you to think, how do I get myself useful in the lives of people around me? I believe there are remarkable opportunities for us. And here's, here's my conviction. I believe that if you will be a person who has form and fire, 
emotional health and deep relationships, who has identifiable practices and is useful to people around you, you're going to help people reimagine what it means to follow God in the 21st century. And we get to do that as individuals who come together. And I believe that's what this church is going to be increasingly about. And this is what I hope you will be increasingly about. So here's what we're going to do. Let's put that question up, and then we're going to go back so that you can see all these things. We're going to spend a couple of moments in silent reflection. This is where you can journal, you can think a little bit. Which one of these feels most meaningful and most relevant for you right now? And here's what I want to challenge you to not do. Don't say all four of them. Only Americans think we can have more than one priority at a given time. It's like a deeply American thing. The word priority means like one thing is most important. So yes, you've got all kinds of things you want to work on. Let's go back. So of these four things, where do you feel there is a kind of nudge to go, I think I need to pay attention to that and start thinking about it, praying about it, and maybe even beginning to make a plan for how I'm going to grow. We're going to spend a couple of minutes in silence before we come to communion because I don't want you to rush through a sermon and go to Mother's Day lunch and forget. I want us to think about something so that we can carry it into our week. So it's 11.53. I'm going to come back. I, this is the closest I get to being a musician. It's when I get to sit behind this. So it's my favorite thing I do as a church leader. I'm going to sit here and think with you, and then I'm going to get up and lead us into communion. But first, let's just be still. Let's, let's think some deep thoughts about where God's inviting us to grow.
we're able to stand together. There's no way you can get to the bottom of that reflection in a few minutes. And so what I hope you'll do is you'll remember it and carry it into your week. Never journaled in my life until this last year. I found sometimes just creating some space to write things down. What I'm learning is that week over week as I reflect on those five components, I get to see where I'm stuck and where I'm growing. And it's really, really instructive when it comes to where to focus on and how to live your life with God. God wants your whole person to grow. He wants all of you, not just your head. He wants all of you. Here's one of the things that I'm learning in my own life with God historically, and I know I'm the only one in the room who's guilty of this, so I'll just say it because it's only me. Um, I've had a tendency to try to fix people and things, and I know none of y'all deal with this, so it's safe to talk about. And what I've realized through doing the prayer of examine and engaging in a more holistic spiritual practice is that so much of my compulsion to try to fix things is because I get freaked out when people are going through hard stuff and I want to resolve it to help me feel better. <laughs> so what I'm learning is to like let things be a little weird and then say, Jesus, you've got to come into these places and help us because I can't, you know, I got like crocodile arms. My arms are too short to save. Jesus's are really long. Ours are really short. I'm sure that none of you need to think about that, but it's just for me. Pray for me. As we approach communion, let's confess our faults before God. And let's just tell the Lord where we feel vulnerable, where we feel a little bit weak or raw or where we've missed the mark and sinned. Let's just silently confess our sin to God and then I'll pray. We'll read the Bible. We'll come to communion. But first, let's just tell him where we need him.